Hello everybody, this is Bitscast and I am Ishan Sharma and this is a special uh, episode. So I had the opportunity to attend Bitsa Global Meet 2020 here in Bits Planigo campus and so I thought why not just share some of the talks and the panel discussions that happened over there. So what I did is that I kind of recorded some bits and pieces of the talks and so I, I thought I'd just share them with you. So yeah, uh, that is what I've done uh, and I'm sorry if the background noise is there and uh, because literally the, it was like a bigger auditorium with like more than 100 people in there so I couldn't do much about it but I hope you all will understand but I think that the that they had a lot of great uh, value in the talks so I thought I'd, I'd, I'd just include it into it so yeah that's why I thought of making this episode I hope you will enjoy this and and let's get on with the talks so day one started off with Sonam Wangchuk which was really surprising to me because I didn't know that Sonam Wangchuk was coming okay so for those of you who don't know who he is he basically reformed the education system in Ladakh and uh, and the methods that he used for, and he actually created, created his own school and so he came in he sort of his own life and his journey that he's been through uh, some of the misconceptions that people have and so it was, a, it was a pretty good talk, I would say. Considering uh, an honorary alumnus. Uh, I feel very much, very much a part of this. I've been to many, many institutions of eminence in this country and beyond. But I really could say I feel an energy, an enthusiasm, an empathy that is very special in BITS campuses. Thank you and thank you students for the treat of art and engineering that they presented here. This is what I like, applying art, engineering together in life and uh, some of the best memories of my own engineering uh, journey, my college, I'm sure here also, was the first year when we did not just science and engineering, but also social sciences, humanities, ethics, and so on, which made more sense of the technology you would learn in the later years, which made us into better human beings uh, than just technological, you know, monsters. So, uh, I really value this kind of uh, harmony and bringing together of different uh, fields and uh, I'm once again very grateful for being a part of your uh, journey here and to meet so many people from so many years of uh, the journey of this great institution. Um, I, as I said, come from a very different part of this country, or actually the planet, a very unusual part which is polar in weather, sometimes it's called the third pole after the north and the south, and high up in the mountains, life is very different, very challenging, but it is actually these challenging circumstances that makes one become innovative, enterprising, and uh, solve these challenges. 
sometimes it is challenges that stimulate our mind more than comforts. Often comforts make us complacent, whereas challenges uh, makes us, you know, go and solve problems. And that perhaps could be of some value to you, uh, because we, by nature, are compelled to find solutions. And that's where I thought of applying my engineering uh, to solve real-world problems in one of the most challenged places. And what could be better than uh, applying young people through their education in solving such problems, so that the education that we receive in classrooms and textbooks through lectures and notes could be more applied to solve, to make life better, happier for people around. So I'll share a little bit about how engineering could be applied together with high school science and high school level enthusiastic young people to make a difference even in a very harsh, remote region of this uh, planet. So, uh, just to share a little bit of my story first. Uh, Not for the classrooms and teaching. You actually perhaps wished every day that the school be closed the next day so you could stay home. But here's a school in Ladakh where the most dreaded punishment is to be sent home for two weeks, where students learn by doing things, where they engage in various innovations to solve real-life problems like climate change, where they run the school themselves like a little country with an elected government and learn management and governance that way, where they learn communication by running the campus newspaper and radio, science by designing and building their own school, solar-heated mud buildings that stay at plus 15, even in minus 15 winters. Kindness and compassion through introspection and meditation. A school where the criteria of admission is not your percentage, but that the conventional system has failed you. from Ladakh, a remote mountain region in the Indian Himalayas. 25 years ago, when I was finishing my own engineering education, I saw that schools were a pain for everyone, but for mountain children, it was doubly painful and irrelevant. Children who spoke Ladakhi or Tibetan at home were made to sit all day memorizing in alien languages like Urdu or English. F for fan, S for ship, D for train. Till recently, every year, 95% of the students used to fail in the all-important 10th grade exams. Together with like-minded friends, we launched SECMOL, the Students' Educational and Cultural Movement of Ladakh, and said enough is enough. Working with the government, we rewrote many textbooks, retrained the teachers, and organized the villagers. And the results started changing too. For those who still fail, we started the alternative school that you just saw. And the results? Tewang Vixing, 
went on to become a top journalist and later became the education minister of Ladakh Hill Council at 27. He had failed his 10th grade five times. Stanley became a filmmaker and has been winning awards across countries. He had failed four times. Miss Simulas is today a celebrated social entrepreneur. She had failed three times. But now we see that the state of higher education is no better. Not only for Ladakhis, who of course are doubly disadvantaged again, but for you in the big cities too. It's time we change this. We in Ladakh are dreaming again. This time our dream is to create an alternative university that will use all our learnings from the past 25 years. Once again, a hands-on doers university, where the school of business runs real-life companies on campus. The school of tourism runs high-end hotels and simple homestays. The school of education runs innovative schools. The revenues from these sustain the university while the students get free higher education and of course hands-on experience. But this is more than a dream now. His Holiness Chetan Rinpoche, one of the top spiritual leaders in Tibetan Buddhism after His Holiness the Dalai Lama, is supporting this cause as the chief patron. The Hill Council government of Ladakh has earmarked roughly 200 acres of land, and the ice stupa artificial glaciers have already started greening this desert. A fully solar heated mud built university township is being planned by some of India's top architects. Together, let's start the next learning revolution, where education is not limited to just the three R's, all too much to do with the head alone, where skills of the hands and kindness of the heart are given equal importance. Sure, it would take significant financial resources to materialize this ambitious dream. Recently, I was awarded the prestigious Rolex Award for Enterprise, for the Ice Super Artificial Blessings. Solomon Wanshu. I come to you, my Rolex Award, as a seed for this cause. Thank you very much. I decided to contribute the roughly one crore rupees as a seed fund to finally raise 150 crore rupees for the first phase of the project. And I very much hope that you all will join me. And so starting off, it was uh, venture capital, a many splendor thing. This was a panel discussion that included Pritish Nijhavan, who is the co-founder and general partner at Servin Ventures, and Sanjay Nath, who is the co-founder and managing partner at Bloom Ventures, Neelesh Kothari, who is uh, the co-founder and managing partner at Trifecta Capital, uh, VT Bhandari was there as well, uh, who is the general partner at A91 Ventures, and uh, we also had Anant Maheshwari, who is the president uh, at Microsoft India. It's, it's timely that you know, it's a new decade and uh, you know, my own story, when I came back from the US, I met Karthik, we sat in Rome. Uh, at that time, we just had a couple of angel groups, of course, BD was very instrumental in Sequoia's and Investor then, but it was really a small group of you know, VCs and uh, literally it was the VCs and you know, a couple of individual angels and entrepreneurs really didn't have that support uh, ecosystem. Trusted to the valley where Preetish is, um, you have, uh, you know, the word serial entrepreneur really didn't exist here, right? I mean, you had people doing it for the first time. 
today you've got two x, three x entrepreneurs. You've got you know founders who've been there, done that, and uh, you've got you know corporate executives coming in. So I think that's fantastic because uh, if you ask the question, you know, how is starting up today different from five or ten years ago? Uh, you know, uh, seasoned founders also means that we have to pay up for seed valuations, which then go up. But the fact is that you are investing in somebody who has learned. I think picking up uh, something from the earlier talk with Mr. Mangshishaw is you're actually uh, backing entrepreneurs who have learned to fail, who know what mistakes not to repeat, and you're in a sense paying up for that, and that is worth something, right? As opposed to uh, you know taking three, four years. So I think uh, the fact that there are these mentors in the ecosystem who are real serial entrepreneurs who are starting up and who are also mentoring others becoming angel investors is fantastic. Um, we're seeing that right across. Uh, you know, I'm also seeing a trend, and I, I'm sure there'll be data that, is, like, when I would say about you know, 20 years ago when I finished, uh, literally the options were very, very linear, right? You would think of, uh, you would, you know, apply to the IIMs, or you would, uh, you know, get a great job from campus, or you would take your GRE board in the US. It was, I think, all of us did parallel process, we linear process. I think today the options are tremendous. I mean, we have. Forget not immediately studying again, but uh, I know the last time I went to campus for my 25th reunion uh, last year, apparently there were about 80 business uh, startup ideas that had started on campus itself, you know, the third and fourth year. So entrepreneurship is starting so early, and I think that, uh, you know, it's our, our job also to mentor that. We may not invest it, but you can support it as angel investors are doing. So I think the talent is starting from the grassroots. Uh, we can get much better, of course. So. Uh, but it's been a sea change and it's got a long way to go. I think what is interesting, again, exits are important because you know, exit and entrepreneurs coming out, fuel, cash back. So, so, so Sandy, I'm, I'm different. I'll try to keep it short because we'll get more opinions in. But I, I take the point around the fact that you can see the, the experience of failure uh, actually becoming an asset, as was said earlier also. I'll just go to the other panelists uh, on uh, on the human capital. Yeah. Just, uh, just some practical data points. Uh, and, and sorry, if you speak, it'll be great if you can also think of both the student audience here and, uh, and the very tenured audience here. No, that's what I'm going to say. One of the interesting things we have seen in our experience uh, in India is that entrepreneurship in India has no age. And uh, there are two facts around it. One is, if I go back and look at our team, uh, uh, many of us came from Sequoia. In the decade of 2011 to 20, of the 43 odd investments that uh, three partners, uh, including me, did, uh, 42 were first generation founders. So the first thing that has changed is when life started in 2006, 7, many of us got into investing. Maybe 8 out of 10 or 9 out of 10 would be traditional family owned business, second generation, third generation, founder raising money. And that's completely changed in the last 10 years. So the odds of the entrepreneur being a first generation founder has probably gone from 20% to 90%. The second is that age of the founder. One of the interesting things we have seen is that the age of the founder is not just irrelevant. You see a meaningful spread between folks who are 20, 30, 40, 50, even 60. Uh, one of the most successful investments that we were ever part of was Star Health Insurance, where the entrepreneur went capital went in from Sequoia was 65. Uh, the exit happened when he was 72 and the private equity firm which is bottom is back in at the age of 73. Uh, and that's not an exception. And uh, it's very interesting. We've made four investments last year. There's one 20 year old, one mid 30s, one mid 40s, one mid 50s. 
So that we think is a very unique strength of India. And I think we think this is happening because there are many folks, hopefully in this room, who are in their 40s and their 50s who probably did not become an entrepreneur because of, not because they didn't want to or because they didn't have an idea, because they thought capital was not available. And, uh, you know, I can tell you my personal experience. I've invested in four companies where the age was 55 or 65 and all four have been terrific. Uh, we think there's a lot of wisdom and a lot of experience that age brings, which also is very helpful for generating venture capital back return. So that's a that's just a flavor. That, that's a nice one. So if anybody here, and I'm sure many do, have uh, any kind of ideas, you know who to talk to, uh, right, right after <laughs> this. So let me move a little bit, unless there were very specific points around human capital. Uh, I, I just move All forward. Are we so I, just, I just wanted to add, uh, you know, the one thing, Gen Z, as you call it, they want to live for a higher purpose. Yeah, they're not necessarily, you know, out of campus looking for jobs. They, they, they're brave, they're courageous, they want to pursue their passion, they're willing to take risks. And failure is not considered bad anymore. In fact, in our own organization, we have a bunch of very smart people. And there are three people who are, you know, your classical IIT, ISP, vets or failed founders, and we respect them. So I think that's one big change uh, that, that I would say. No, so I'll, I'll maybe uh, take, a, take a break from the headwinds and the tailwinds, but relate a little back, a little bit to the previous talk. Uh, I think there's a common thematic about the idea uh, and where the idea comes from, uh, and how we then shape the idea uh, of the venture uh, that, that you're working on. And if I go back uh, to the same point maybe that you were making 10 years back, the ideas that were really being, uh, being invested into and, and scaled were really repeats uh, of ideas globally. And they had already happened, you got e-commerce playing in a, in a big way, you had general transaction engines uh, playing uh, in a big way and, and they really got the success uh, in India. You now see ideas uh, which uh, are true to uh, the opportunity that India provides. Uh, and, and ideas that can really scale here and, and go serve maybe 3 million more people on the planet uh, because many other parts of the world like Latin America, Africa, Central and Eastern Europe, Latin, the Asia Pacific region uh, can all benefit uh, from those ideas. So I'd like to also maybe get your point of view on the diversity of ideas that you see today, the global ideas, the Indian ideas, uh, also relate back to how much we link to the global ecosystem. So, yeah, look, I think uh, even sitting in the U.S., it's obvious uh, how the Indian ecosystem has uh, has progressed, and it's actually natural, right? It started off with the rule I actually go back to the rule the emphasis and, and, and the big of the world. It was a whole bunch of services entrepreneurs were created. Uh, Y2K was, I would argue, the biggest boom in there, uh, uh, you know, in the last 50 years, if you ask me. Uh, it then moved on to the, the copycat, uh, you know, commerce idea. So on and so forth, and, and a whole bunch of role models were created uh, from there. So you saw, you know, from uh, Swiggy's to uh, Tomato and all of these, right? And now you're seeing, and I'm, you know, personally very happy to see, it's now moving to even to, to the B2B area. You have Druva, you have Browser Stack, uh, you have Fresh Test. These are, these are amazingly solid global companies that started in India, and I think that is uh, that ecosystem of investors. You know, 
presentation, uh, the CPAs who understand SaaS business models, right? You know, these are all uh, the ecosystem that I think has positioned India actually to be in a very good place. And I think it's a natural progression. It didn't happen too fast. Uh, and I think that's a very good sign. Any more views on the ideas, diversity that you, that, uh, you see today and the kind of ideas that are being backed or successful? Anything? Just very quickly, I'll just go back to what, uh, to what both Nilesh and Preeti said. I think founders that are coming out today have a very sharpened sense of purpose in the sense they always had it, but they're thinking very carefully about why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, in terms of, I think, in an our balance, I think the thesis areas have become very sharpened both in the investor's eyes and the entrepreneur's eyes. So, for example, uh, in the last uh, like 10, 20 years, it was, you know, you could consume internet or B2B. I think today within B2B, we can get deeper, but you have enterprise software, which is always the bulk SaaS, but you have deep tech, you've got life sciences, you've got really cutting edge work happening with ISC and the others, which are not happening. So even within B2B, we're seeing deeper areas being pursued and that those areas are getting broader. Awesome, so about deep tech. So we talked about people, we talked about the idea. That's how I guess your, your business works. You look at the person talking to you, you look at the idea, and that's, and that's sitting in front of you. And then you start thinking about how will the capital flow. And then is capital an accelerator? Is it, how, how much capital is chasing that idea and so on. So I think it was interesting that one of you mentioned it as a tailwind and one of you mentioned it as a headwind. So I'd really like to bring that debate into this group because you are the experts on, on, on capital. Let's start with uh, capital as a table uh, because you talked about the diversity of capital coming in, the easier capital, the corporate capital uh, showing up uh, in, in, uh, in the startup uh, ecosystem. So, Nish, you want to start that? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the way I look at it, um, you know, or, or let's, let's, let's bring some excitement none of us can ever visualize something like a soft bank. Yeah? Uh, it, it, it came out of nowhere, it became a hundred billion dollar fund, they were writing billion dollar checks, uh, they were writing checks repeatedly in their own companies. Uh, and, 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 and it was like, you know, soft bank is coming big way. Uh, and and, and, and it, it resulted into fear, it resulted into irrational thinking, irrational business models. Uh, you know, OYO is in the news now every day for the wrong reasons because, you know, until last year, Ritesh was wondering how, how he can deploy the billion dollars that was available to him. And now he's worried about, you know, that billion dollars is no longer available and how does he need to cut his losses and, 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 and do what he has to do. So I think, uh, and again, this is this is part of the maturing of the, of the ecosystem where uh, we, we, we need very thoughtful investors. Uh, uh, we need investors who are uh, promoting the right metrics, the right behavior amongst founders. Um, and, and I can tell you, you know, 15 years ago, uh, as, as investors, you know, ourselves were naive and, and uh, we did not have the maturity. So I think we've learned along the way, founders have learned along the way, and, and, and everybody else has learned along the way. But we need to be mindful and hopefully we'll not have the soft bank kind of dinosaurs, uh, you know, creating, uh, you know, the kind of uh, disruption that they created uh, in the last few years and, and hopefully good sense will prevail. So, Nilesh, you said the magic word soft bank and I know Pritish has very easy views <laughs> on that. So, I'll, I'll ask him to, to speak because he's just waiting to get that chance. Yeah, so I think, look, um, 
But um, I think, look, you know, SoftBank, you look at WeWork or OYO, uh, the way I put it, you know, if you give your 16-year-old a Porsche and the Porsche crashes, uh, do you blame the parent or do you blame uh, the child? I think I blame the parent more than the child, right? Either way, uh, either way, the Porsche is blameless. Porsche did nothing wrong, okay? The Porsche did what it was supposed to do. A lot of these products in this WeWork or OYO, Uh, you know, has the 
necessarily marketed itself uh, as as a as a startup community as an entrepreneurial community. Mm -hmm. uh, and I can also tell you this that uh, because we engage with large uh, Indian business houses, whether they're financial institutions or manufacturing companies. Uh, you know, all of them are struggling to innovate as fast as the startups, and we are almost feeling uh, threatened. And uh, there's this uh, huge fear that they might they might uh, you know die. Uh, and, and so they're willing to to look for ideas. And, and one of the suggestions I would have, uh, you know, because we have leadership from uh, you know, bits uh, here, is to set up incubators which can be sponsored by, say, a Maruti so you know the students can, can participate in, in problems that they can bring to these incubators and, and solve real life problems and that will create uh, you know a, a deeper community if you will and, and bring in a lot of entrepreneurial uh, and problem solving experience and they can create uh, you know more practical learning if you will you know for the student community. Uh, so I think the, the only thing I would say to, to here is that we solve big problems. I think, you know, do we need another sales and marketing software solution? No. Uh, do we need another food delivery startup, really? No. Right? I mean, that's been done. You know, solve big problems. We have huge problems in this country. We have pollution. Uh, we have security. We have military issues. You know, and I think the biggest thing that the U.S. has going for it is the, the, the massive research and dollars in universities. I think that's the challenge for all of us as alums and you, Pilani itself.
So I hope you like their perspectives. Uh, coming up next is going to be BitSpark Stars, which was basically a talk by CEOs and founders. So this included Anishit Rastogi, who is the founder and CEO at Locus.sh, Payal Tandon, uh, who is the co-founder and CEO of EGMAT, Vijay Sharma, who is the co-founder and CEO of Belong, and uh, Shiv Kumar Ganesan, who is the co-founder and CEO of Exotil, and lastly, Sundi Natarajan, who is the entrepreneur and angel investor. And this talk basically uh, revolved around their story, how they ended up building their own startups, and how angel investor Sundi Natarajan and BitSpark helped them. And here it comes. So, but in my journey, I think what I'll just call out is that I think both of us were volunteered for Big Salana Association a lot. We worked with Harish sir, CS World Service, First Bits of Logi, which was, I think, a great opener. So, I think, like, one piece of advice for the younger people, if at all you're there, just volunteer for the Bits Alana community. You will most likely end up building a network, which is insane. We didn't think that Raghu Reddy would be on our board. He was a chairman at that time before Jayan took over. And, like, we were awed. And, like, after five, six years, he ended up, become, you know, he's now on Belong's board. Um, I think one of the best things that's happened to us. Um, Loom's an investor, uh, because I got to know them in Exodel, so they're investors in Belong as well. Funny's an investor. Uh, funny, I'll say, like, because you did it, I, you know, I really felt inspired that I should try to do it. I'm not like you. <laughs> 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 so, you know, I, I heard you in, in, a, in a, actually I heard Funny in a bits Bangalore chapter talk uh, in Indranagar, and uh, it was very inspiring. I actually heard Shipko also at a, at a BITS event, uh, so that was very inspiring as well. So and typically, I think the BITS network inspires uh, me, I think you can see a lot of inspiration here. Uh, but you know, if you just think about it, me and Rishabh have just been like sort of selling into CIOs, CEOs of, you know, like Walmart CIO was a customer. Uh, he's now at Pinterest because they were going IPO, so the Pinterest founder wrote over him to come and take a lot of stocks, and that's a side story. Uh, but you know, the British Telecom CIO, the British Telecom CEO, um, you know, Verizon, CIO, all these people are customers. They are uh, somehow introduced to us thanks to a Bitsy network, by the way. Uh, and it's normally not the most sexiest Bitsyn out there who does this introduction. It's a normal Bitsyn like you and me. Uh, and so we're so, sort of super grateful for that. Um, at one point of time when Belong was 70 people, we were 48% Bitsyns. So we, people used to like walk into the company and they're like, dude, like, what is this? And people are saying, like, just go and... <laughs> <laughs> Then after that I joined a company called Tracto, which is uh, you know a healthcare tech company. 
I got fired from there after five months. And uh, at that point of time, I was talking to Funny to potentially join Red Bus, but uh, my Bidavarkar rejected me instantly. So I just got fired, and then he sends like his toughest guy to interview me, and he also rejects me. So my like confidence is like at, at the lowest, right? And uh, then luckily, I was Shivku's customer, so I was like paying. I was practical, right? So I was to pay Shivku's bills, right? So so Shivku would send a you know follow up call and say, Vijay, can you process the money? I'm a bootstrap company, right? So I think Shivku, you know, I want to catch up. A uh, bunch of things have happened. And then luckily Shivko offered me the chance to build Exodel with him. But I'll just tell you one piece of advice which I got, which I think a lot about. So this person called Chandra Bhogle, who I think has played a very significant part in the Blitz alumni community getting together. And he's not a sexy household name, etc. Right? But talking to him was very helpful because when I got fired from Tracto, he just asked me one simple thing. Like, did Tracto have Blitzians? I was like, no, but why does that matter? He's like, yeah, culture you will not understand. Uh, oh, okay. Similarity, familiarity, you will not understand. Trust, you will not understand. Mm -hmm. So, whatever you're doing next, choose a Bitcoin startup. Uh, I had a chance to join Bhavesh when they were seven people, and I had a chance to join Shivku at Exotel when they were four people. Just don't regret the choice at all because I think it was one of the best things that happened for me personally. Awesome. From, from their story. I'm not as connected with the Pitsian network in the technical manner, in, in the manner in which these three are. But I would say there are five ways in which the Pitsian community has really helped us uh, build EG Mad from grounds up, especially in the early stages. The first one was that the three co-founders that we are, none of us were ever educators. We were technologists at heart and we had this lofty vision to, to build a course that is as that is more effective than the classroom courses. We are like, okay, yes, we have this lofty goal, but can we accomplish that? Can we build a course? So what we did was we said, okay, let's build a very, let's take up the most difficult topic, uh, which is there in the GMAT one curriculum. We took probability and, and combination, the probability and permutations and combination. And show of hands, how many of you enjoy that topic? Enjoy that topic? Okay, good. But I would say, at least you guys are Bitsians, you're smart, and a lot of us are Bitsians. We do enjoy that topic, but I did see just 50% of the people raise their hands. This is really the most, uh, till date, this is the most um, feared topic. So we said, okay, let's take the most difficult of the topics and we get, uh, we create a, we create a course, um, um, methodology, learning methodology that we have to implement, and we'll see, we'll, we'll have proper metrics, starting score, ending scores, and we'll see whether we can um, sh uh, show considerable score improvement. So we did that, we got 100 uh, people to take, take our 10 day long course. The second thing was, yes, we can build a course, but we want this to be a no touch point thing. I was, uh, both of us were always against um, having any human uh, touch at all in, in our courses because we wanted to leverage technology to the letter T. So we said, okay, even if they are, are they motivated enough to go through the course all by themselves without anybody telling them that you really need to go through the course during these 10 days. And surprisingly, uh, to our benefit, a uh, majority of the people who started the course on day one finished the course on day 10 and with considerable score improvement. Now, out of these 100, 40 were uh, test takers who will be scouted from Bits2B school Yahoo group. And these 40 people, the kind of VOC that I could get from them, that really helped us reshape our first product that we created and we launched in 2010, August. So that was the first contribution that we got. And I would say that, I would say 60% of the success of our first course, I owe it to the Bitsian community because of the feedback that we got. And it was that 
Bitsian Connect, even though I didn't know them personally, even though I didn't meet with them, it was that Bitsian Connect that really helped us get that level of feedback. So that was the first one. The second one was that we created the product, we were nobodies in the GMAT space. GMAT um, was a very competitive uh, marketplace to a lot of investors. I mean, a lot of people whom we told that, okay, we are investing in, the, we are actually building a product in the GMAT space, they said, but it seems pretty saturated. There are so many courses, Veritas Prep, Manhattan GMAT, Kaplan's of the world. Why are you choosing GMAT? I was like, okay, we do have a niche market. We can definitely work, work out something. So we're like, okay, without spending any marketing dollars, can we get students to buy our, to buy a course from a nobody? And that's where, again, uh, the Bitsian community came to help without our knowledge. Uh, basically, we launched our course on 2nd of August. On 14th of August, that same month, we actually got a success story on a public forum, one of the biggest public forums that serves GMAT community, and that was from a Bitsian. And that success story was so close to my heart. Um, based on that success story alone, we, we earned our first 34 customers with zero marketing dollars. And that really gave us the confidence that yes, there is a need, and, and again, the Bitsian community, without my telling them, just came to rescue over there. That was the second one. The third one was the first two hires that we had outside of the co-founding team. They were Bitsians. My first technology hire was from Bits Goa campus. He worked with us for three years and he then went on to do his MBA from ISB. Um, the, the investment was that? Exactly. <laughs> he really he, he needed to. He was he was primed for it, I would say. Yeah, so and then the second uh, hire that we had, he, uh, he was our first verbal subject matter expert. He was from Prince Hyderabad campus. He worked with us for about seven years and now he's uh, pursuing his master's in, uh, in data analytics. So again, the third part of our first hires that really helped us enhance our products. The fourth one I would say it's Spark, definitely. Um, at that stage, we were like, okay, we like our product, our customers love our products, but is there somebody else and is there somebody who has done it all um, do, will, will they appreciate what we are doing? Do we, are we really on to something? And that's where getting the funding from Bitspark, even though we didn't need the funding, but that gave us that level of confidence and that safety net that helped us get to our next level of scale. And the fifth one, needless to say, all the advice that Sundi has given us over the years that has been really instrumental. It's one thing to convince my spouse or him convincing me uh, to, to, to go on that path, but it's another thing when we get that, when we are able to convince Sundi or when we are able to convince him the other direction, you know, it just gives us that level of conviction that we are headed in the right direction. So yeah, really thankful to the Bitsin community. Not sure if that really helps but It really helps. <laughs> <laughs>
I, I started out with a location-based messaging app. Uh, you know, if you know Google, Neighborly, something similar. Or maybe like, I think you're like, ye ki app but with trust. But broadly, like, um, we could market it at all. So to market it at that time, we thought, um, th there was a pretty infamous Uber incident back in 2014. Uh, my father was one of the points that I addressed on this, that whole topic was really close to us. So we started out with a women's safety hour for rights sake. As a matter of fact, the first first $150,000 raised for Locus was for rights sake. During the raise, during several of the conversations, right, like we'd been, and we had a very straight up honest conversation with our investor that we think that, you know, it's a great utility, but we're not sure if it's going to be a great business. And during that conversation itself, that women's safety app started getting adopted by delivery companies to see if their delivery boys are TVL, right? And they asked us for an enterprise version, and I give you not like much like uh, any you know penultimate ear bits hubris, right? I was like, are they idiots? Like, do they not know GPS exists? Do they not know tracking systems exist? And as it always turns out, we were the ones who were idiots because we were the ones missing out the point that they were not actually tracking, but that coffee company, that on-demand coffee company, they were trying to see if their delivery boys are going for a smoke break or somewhere else. And instead of tracking and figuring it out, they were using the deviation for a women's safety app for that. And that's what we uh, heard adopted to, right? And as I said that at the start, right, like very genuinely in hindsight, it looks like this smart call that, you know, you were you were listening to the market and you could shift from B2C to B2B. Like during the time it wasn't like that. It was just plain ego. How do I survive today? Like how do I not die? Like how do I not become one more statistic in 99% fail startup? Right. So during the moment, at least for me. I wasn't smart enough to see it forward. It was just absolute relentless execution. And uh, yeah, we kept building till we, it's not that we have done it. Like we're still like, unlike actually 50% of this room, which is extremely rare today, we, we are not EBITDA positive, right? 50% of this room is, uh, which is which is pretty cool, which is, which is amazingly cool. Right? So we still have a lot of money we have raised, which we have not returned. But I think we are on part to that. Yeah, like while you are doing it, you know, it's okay if you can't see it forward. Or maybe it was okay for us. And we weren't that smart. It was just like not dying. Like it was simple as that. I would say um, in our case, there were three major pivots that I can think of right now. And I wouldn't say that we just stumbled on them. We did plan for them. But we didn't uh, raise all our hopes on them. Any, everything that we have taken up on, on, on EGMAT, any endeavor, we've always said, okay, let's do this. If plan A doesn't work, this is, these are the metrics that we're going to track. If we are not able to get to that, then we are going to work on something else. Um, so again, um, it was always a planned activity, but with a measured risk associated with it. So the first pivot that I can think of right now is after we had launched 50% of our course, we didn't, so so we are one of those companies that didn't launch the complete GMAT. Our first product was just, covered just 20% of the entire GMAT curriculum. Then our, um, in 2012, so we launched in 2010, in 2012 we had finished about 50% of our, of the entire GMAT curriculum. 
by that time, at that time, we actually uh, got about three, 300% increase in our revenue. So that was the first pivot that we experienced. The second one was when we created our, um, our testing platform and um, that our practice platform, which, which had inbuilt analytics. So again, that was a measured thing. We knew that there is an absolute need in the, in the customer market for, for having proper analytics, for having a practice platform. And that really uh, got us to another 100% increase in our revenues. The third one was when we came up with really um, unique way of marketing our courses and no other test prep company marketed in that manner. And that got us to the next pivot. Now that doesn't mean that there were other experiments that, that all our experiments were successful. I can think about five other major experiments that we did that weren't as successful. But that's the beauty of running your own thing. You come up with experiments and then you, some, some, some successes you take with you and some failures you learn from them and then you improvise in your, in your next experiments. Yeah, in the interest of time, I know we are very close to the 45 minute mark, but maybe for both of you specifically, I know uh, we briefly chatted about it. Uh, when you co-found companies uh, with Bitsyens, uh, it doesn't always go well and sometimes you have to part ways. So how did you guys resolve the <laughs> Like, uh, everyone wants to watch a movie, dude. <laughs> like, well, I'm Michelle and Pyle, no one wants to listen to it. Look at them. <laughs> Sorry, what is that? Can I skip this? What is the Yes, skip. You said skip. Time is running out. <laughs> Co-founders leave at different points of time, and I think uh, Raju, my mentors, had co-founders leave, and 
I've obviously left Shivko. Um, I I don't know how many of you want to understand this, but two three things I wish I knew about co-founder relationships, which I could have told myself. I'll just share that. One is that you have to invest in it, just like you invest in it in a marriage uh, or into a relationship. You have to keep investing in it, right? So um, and that is a kartavya you have to do. Like you can't like if it's not working out or it's working out, it doesn't matter. Your first your first duty is to invest into the relationship. and that i think one you should do irrespective of whether the outcome will be great or not uh secondly i think um uh it's it's fine like as shivko saying i think it's completely fine but as long as uh as long as in the start i think one of the good pieces of advice i got from shivko funny atlas etc which again the pixel network when we were starting up is that so we had five co-founders and rishabh's like much smarter and much better than me on a lot of things uh, he has a little bit more weight also than me uh, his brother is in bitcoin right now also um, but you know I, at the end of the day we were very clear who the ceo is going to be and it was very clearly decided at the start i think that's an important topic to discuss at the start if you can because if you have the clarity then you know that when there is a discussion of opinion then you know who you are trusting that decision to eventually when someone's leaving it's because they don't agree with that decision uh and they're not agreeing with that ceo per se um and i think that's something that you we just have to be comfortable with and you have to sort of take a call on um and i think third thing i think like i think it's a beautiful relationship i think uh, i i mean i've been fired by shashank and prato uh he's an angel investor in belong um shivku rented uh, his first few uh, my first few months of building belong i didn't have money so he lent his kitchen and his office uh for like a meager like 2000 rupees uh, yeah so money or you know just kidding 2000 <laughs> is fine i think you know? and for food and for rent in bangalore like for uh, three months i think it was great right so i think there should be no animosity at the end of it because like i think life is too small and this like really not worth it uh but i know it, you feel like it like i mean i was fired by shashank i felt like murdering him um and then you know when when shivku and i were having actually i tell you the conversation that triggered it i think uh, shivku was going through a very tough time at exodus like uh, i had a time this set up by some babu somewhere uh, who got up from the wrong side of the bed and questioned the you know the regulations of this country on whether exodus exists or not and i think it was like one of the toughest time i think you went through uh, i remember us running around pillar to post to stand save exodus and uh, post that i think just in one random conversation shivku and ishwar and sir were discussing and shivku was like you know like in this and we were pivoting right like company and i took it like oh this guy doesn't think i'm going to add value no literally like these are the hard conversations that i mean like this is not funny like it is literally human beings not being able to understand you know what another person is trying to do to motivate you and you taking it in a different way so my only point is that as long as the human being is not bad on the other side i think it's totally cool and you should like be willing to like uh, not even forgive there's no point to forgive just be willing to sort of just go through the experience with i think that itself will be amazing so Uh, I mean that's how I think of it. I don't think I ever told you this that, you know, that moment when Karthik and everyone was in the room and you said, you know, I don't know what you will do in this new journey. Now when I think about it, I don't think you meant that to go from Exodus. Uh, but yeah, I mean I took it like that. So 
I'm just trying to like share what as a co-founder, as a, someone who made me a co-founder over here, and then in my journey, I've sort of made my mistakes with my co-founders as well. So, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. So I know we're very close, but I'll open the questions now uh, for the audience. If you guys want. To Let's take another question real quick before we wrap up. Anyone else in the room? Yeah. Do you want to get the mic? Thank you. My question is to Vijay. Uh, 
uh, I'm a startup founder and uh, you know what would be your advice to you know when hiring the first few employees of your company uh, you know without paying them a salary you know just asking them to come up on equity just take the chance so I mean what's your advice <laughs> Bishop, right now, Bishop, I just go back to the, the exact post that you were in right now, just before when you were talking about equity sharing and all that stuff. Big, big founders are anyways not earning much. That's for the employee. Look, the thing is, you know, you're asking some people who are paying, you know, they're getting paid very well, and you're asking them to leave their well-paid corporate jobs. So, I mean, in that scenario, what is your advice? I think I'll just answer the vision matters. Who has a quick answer? See, I think if somebody is sticking to their jobs because they want to earn their salary, maybe he's not the right candidate
But I wanted to thank them all. Um, thanks for a So that was day one from my perspective. Uh, again, I, I had a lot of fun uh, the whole day. I, I met a lot of new uh, alumni and I had a lot of fun with them. <laughs> there was even this guy playing guitar in the, on the B-Dome. So as like even I sung with him and it was a, it was a pretty good experience. Uh, we were all singing like old songs and stuff and it was really cool. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is a pretty good this is a pretty good thing, right? And this is, and for those of you who don't know, this is, uh, this is pretty rare, right? So, for BGM to happen in Goa, and for for BGM to happen especially in Goa, it's like once in every nine years kind of an opportunity, which is pretty rare. So that means for the entire, for for my entire degree, I won't be having a, another global meet. So this is huge. Uh, people from from people from all across the world have gathered here, and just sharing their information, uh, sharing what they have to offer, people that have gone different routes, taken up uh, things that are completely different from engineering in particular. Uh, so yeah, I think I think it was a pretty good experience. Again, I might make episode more episodes, uh, seeing that there is a day two and day three. So yeah, I just thought it would be best to just upload it right away. Uh, just let me know what you think about this episode. If you learn something, uh, and you can just feel free to DM me on Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, and the links will be in the show notes. And yeah, I should do it. Uh, stay tuned for the the regular uh, episodes that, that that will be coming up every Sunday. Uh, I have Mehul Mohan coming up on Sunday, and yeah, that should do it. Thank you so much for watching, and I'll see you next time.